Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. I'm very excited about today's interview. I spoke with Janae Johnson, who is a program innovation leader, mindfulness teacher, trauma and racial healing space holder. And she has pioneered and leads the unique effort to bring mindfulness into public health practices and programs through the Trauma-Informed Systems of Care Initiative in the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Her goal is to improve the organization's ability to manage change, stay resilient, inspire growth, and become a mindful culture that leads and serves with compassion. Her work has been featured in various publications, including Mindful Magazine, as the cover story in October 2019, and in the fall 2020 issue, as a leader in the mindfulness movement, and in 2021, Mindful Special Edition, the Gratitude Journal. Janae is the founder and curator of the Right Within Experience, a mindfulness immersion program that reclaims humanity, joy, and well-being for people of African ancestry through mindfulness practices. These are the human rights and exalted emotions that are eroded in Black lives through the consistent exposure to the trauma of racism. The Right Within experience expands the scope of mindful practice to acknowledge its ancient African lineage and increase access and relevance to people of African ancestry. The program promotes healing and sovereignty for Black people and is curated for those on the front line of community service social justice missions, and Black business leaders. For 15 years, Janae has served as the director of the San Francisco Black Infant Health Program, a program which provides direct service to Black pregnant women and new mothers to address the health disparities in infant and maternal mortality. Janae Johnson is a professional coactive coach and certified trainer and practitioner in mindfulness and emotional intelligence based on the latest neuroscience. She is a HeartMath certified trainer, emotional emancipation circles facilitator, and certified to teach FIM, a meditative movement and wellness modality for women. She is a keynote speaker, workshop curator, coach, and consultant with Sankofa Holistic Counseling Services in Oakland and on the advisory board of Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Janae is a native New Yorker with Caribbean and Southern roots. She resides in Oakland with her husband and young adult son. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome, Janae. It's good to see you. It's so good to see you, Michelle. My pleasure to be with you. (laughs) Yeah, we just went through a whole journey for the listeners. We went through a whole journey trying to navigate Mercury being in retrograde and it's a miracle that we're here and can hear each other. So I'm glad that worked out because I really, you know, want to be in space with you and talk with you and be in community together. Beautiful. So we met through finding refuge through the book, finding refuge. And 
I feel like when I met you, it's just like, oh, I want to know this person and talk to them and know about their life and all of that. And um, of course, we've talked some about finding refuge. So I just appreciate um, you being willing. You didn't know me when you interviewed me about finding refuge. So you being willing to do that and and enter into this, I'm going to say friendship because you feel like a, a friend and an old yeah. soul. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It was my best read of 2021. I continue to um, tell people about the book. I have now been using it myself as I am in a period of bereavement for a family loss. My brother passed away. I am making it required reading for a group of mindfulness teachers that I oversee because there's so many layers to it around not only grief, but grief in community and individual. There are um, opportunities and rituals for healing, beautiful stories. And it's just a fine example of how you teach and tend to the heart um, in in a very sensitive subject and one that our culture does not make room for. So um, even as I go through my own, I, I keep doing this breathing into the heart space and opening so that I can just make room for what wants to move through. And I just think it needs to be on everybody's library. <laughs> In everybody's library, finding refuge, hard work for healing collective grief. And it was my pleasure that um, CIIS said that we would be a good pair actually. So thank you to them. They said, we've been watching you and we think that you would be a good person to interview Michelle Cassandra Johnson. And your book was the best read of 2021 and now 2022. Oh, here we are. So it's my pleasure to be in your space and in your radiance. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything you just said and for who you are in the world. And I would love for you to share some about who you are and what you do. And I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Oh, where to start? Well, I hail from New York and I live in California and I've been working for, um, close to two decades in the San Francisco Department of Public Health, starting in maternal health, looking at infant and maternal mortality for black women. And um, the arc of my career led me to the Trauma-Informed Systems Initiative, where I have initiated the um, mindfulness program there, partnering with an organization, Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, and bringing mindfulness into public health spaces. We are the only public health department that is dedicated to trauma, and we are nesting trauma in mindfulness because you cannot look at the journey from being trauma organized to trauma informed to being healing without understanding that the change, the deep changes in behavior and practice that are needed need to be cultivated. And the depth of inner calm versus reactivity 
and resilience to stay the course of the difficult conversations that needs to be developed. We need to be trained. It's a training. We don't wake up and say, I'm going to the Olympics tomorrow. No, you, you, you become, you're on a path to train. And these are skills, a gift to the Department of Public Health is, is to bring this, elevate the conversation and bring it to our community. So we have a group of mindfulness teachers that have been trained. We're in our second group of mindfulness teachers. I teach the mindfulness course and we have mindful moment and we are training our trauma early adopters in mindfulness. And so we are building momentum in the public health space. And so I've been recognized in Mindful Magazine in 2020 as uh, among other women as one of the agents of change and leaders in the mindfulness movement. And I'm also developing a mindfulness program for people of African ancestry. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I do by day. <laughs> mm-hmm. By day, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, well, what do you do at night? But thank you. We can talk about that (laughs) for sure. Thanks for what you do. I mean, the, the challenging work that you do and, you know, inviting people into this practice of being more mindful um, and particularly people of African descent to a commitment to that. And I'd love to know some about your path, like how you ended up where you are or made the choice to be where you are now. Right. I um, have had an eclectic career path. Um, I started as a youngster in New York in the arts, dance and drama, majored in English in college, came back to New York and did um, all kinds of odd things, you know, public relations, casework in special services for children, investigating child abuse and maltreatment cases. And then I pursued deep learning in the Bible. I decided that um, I had a a spiritual hunger. I had a legacy of believers in my family, but what I was being exposed to just seemed too shallow. And in my heart, I knew that there was more. So I left New York and joined a biblical research, teaching and fellowship ministry and trained to teach the sacred text. And so I have I'm going to say deep knowledge in those scriptures and not from empire Christianity, nor from denominational religion, but the essence of a true vital spiritual relationship with God through an acknowledgement of the Christ. So I have Mm -hmm. a Christ-centered faith that embraces a, a, a depth of spirituality that I just have my own thing, girl, you know, (laughs) I don't know what to call it, (laughs) but that's the foundation of it. (laughs) Yeah. What to call it because I, you know, I meditate and I have um, looked into African traditional religions and can see the threads and knowing even in the mindfulness practice, you know, what I share with black people particularly is that mindfulness, this essence of contemplation and quietness is African. It started 
in Africa with the original people. And as we moved out of Africa and populated East and West Asia, then these embodied practices that they brought with them, um, you know, were codified and translated into Hinduism, Buddhism, etc. But it's a black thing. It's the root. It's African. And so um, all of this all seems to just make sense to me. And so my practice is um, takes me into the sacred text, the, the Holy Bible, takes me into speaking in tongues, takes me into meditation. And the total, total bottom line of that is a love walk. It is really love is the essence of it. Love is the character and essence of, of God, of the infinite, of the creator, of source. And so I'm always challenged to bring that to my consciousness, to how am I walking that out? Um, how having that at the center of what I do, even in the midst of um, challenging, you know, discriminatory acts that I have experienced in public health, even in the midst of how we respond, it is not that... Um, this is not a spiritual bypass conversation. This is where I fuel and replenish and restore and um, strategize for how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Love definitely is my fuel, if you will. Mm-hmm. I can feel that from you and just know that the times <laughs> we've been together and just your energy, um, love does feel like it's the fuel and and you exude that I feel like and witness that and see that. And I'm wondering how you, you mentioned sort of in the midst of discrimination or in the midst of different circumstances and challenges that you've still tried to walk with love. And I mean, we've been through so many challenges over the last lifetime, but two years and last the four years, right. In the Trump era. And I'm wondering what that looks like, walking with love, given the context that we're in right now. Well, I think for me, for one, I I endeavor to make sure that I'm well-resourced because you cannot give what you don't have. And I actually am at a stage in my, in my walk in life where I'm not that focused on the giving. I feel that the giving, I... Uh, my giving comes in my overflow. So if I am tending to mm-hmm. myself in the ways that I should be tending to myself, you, you, the great you, the greater you <laughs> cannot help but be impacted by who I am. So how I have grown to generate myself is to understand that I am the gift and mm-hmm. that. I must rest and restore and replenish and be well-resourced. That I have traveled a a road, I have gotten a lot of information and practices. And if I didn't learn another one, I have a lot of what I need to create the kinds of experiences that I desire to have. So I look at my relationship with God is first and I must be well-resourced. And then what happened over the pandemic, people kept coming to me. Local news station came to me like five or six times to comment on different aspects of the pandemic. 
people asked me to do presentations. And so I have a whole brand that emerged because people need that medicine. So I would say that one of the things that we can be conscious of is stop looking over there and out there. It all starts here in with us first. And then, then we have something to offer and to contribute. And we don't have to do the whole thing, but but the main work is really tending to oneself. And it takes a lot of courage and permission, permission that you grant yourself to do that because that is not the prescription of the world. It's not the prescription of the world for people in black bodies in America and other places because we were brought here to do what? Work. And it's not the prescription for uh, women, women because we have a natural embodied code for nurturance and that has often been corrupted and manipulated so you've got to unpack from all of the programming to kind of find yourself and find your lane and i feel that's a big part of my work is helping people to see the program and be at a place where they can make a decision to disconnect from the program. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to do in my work is Mm -hmm. I don't not tell the truth. I speak the truth, Mm -hmm. but I tell it in such a gorgeous way. (laughs) Because in my, in my work, there's no villain and no victim. You know, I say, you didn't start this shit. Pardon me. I didn't start it. (laughs) You didn't start it. I didn't start it, but here we are. Mm -hmm. Now you have a choice. But let me also lay it out for you so that you're not just coming into the middle of a conversation because most people do not know the history. So part of what I do when I do these presentations, et cetera, I give people um, a little bit of a walk through what has happened. And that is always the trauma question. What has happened? Racism is a violent trauma. The way we often talk about it is like white folks were not even there. Right. So I take them through the walk and help them to see some of the things. And I also speak of it in terms of the beautiful work of Heather McGee, the sum of us, you know, that it's about a, it's a we conversation. This is why I don't like the terms around diversity, equity, inclusion, because somebody else is in charge of that. Oh, you going to decide to include me. See, I'm not in that conversation we have to approach this a different way, but I digress. So I think that I try to speak the truth in love, help people understand from whence we have come, answer the trauma question of what has happened. Oh, and what has happened in your body as well, my dear white brothers and sisters, because uh, the behaviors that we have seen, the patterns of behaviors, not just for black people, the genocide of the indigenous folks in America and elsewhere, genocide, land grabbing, Japanese internment, Chinese inclusionary act, the treatment of immigrants at the border. See, these are patterns of domination. It's not. So when you look at the patterns, we have to say, now what, what has happened to you? (laughs) Turn the mirror. What has happened to you that has um, allowed or fostered this behavior and trauma that is not transformed is transmitted. 
So let's look at your trauma. <laughs> right. This is the great work of um, Rasma Menachem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what happened to you that you have to act like this? Let's just don't look over here at me. <laughs> let's look over here at you. So when I do that, I do not, and I'm not, again, positing a villain or positioning myself as a victim. I am saying, let's look at these patterns and then you get to decide, would you like to shift them or you want to just stay that way? What would you like to pass the baton? We are only here for a certain amount of time. So what do you pass to the next generation? What's the baton that you want to pass? You might, you can't fix it all. We've been at this a long time, but do you want to make a contribution to things being better? I mean, I pose, it's a, it's an inquiry. People get to answer that for themselves, but they don't have to answer it when I teach in an, in a vacuum. Now you get to answer it from a place of, I have understood how I got here. I have understood a little bit about, and it's a little bit, but I understand better how I got here, how we got here. And, oh, I am actually empowered in myself to build the ability to respond. And that's where the mindfulness comes in. Because people's nervous systems, Black, white, and everybody in between, our nervous systems are a hot mess for different reasons. So for people in white bodies building, you know, uh, Robin D'Angelo talks about the fragility and I, 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 you know, I don't particularly prescribe to that, but yeah, she, she kind of right. I, Cause I've seen it. Oh, the collapsing, the can't take it. So we need to build, you need to build up so that you can hold the complexity of this conversation without collapsing. And that comes through mindful practice, meditation. Mindfulness is the way we teach it is that it is a pathway into building emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-management, the ability to be in conflict and not collapse, the ability to have compassion and empathy and generate cooperation the equanimity to go moment by moment, to hold that moment um, in kindness and curiosity. And then to be able to say, oh, what would I, what can I do with this? To take the two steps back. That's what the practice enables us to do. And for people in black bodies, racism is a distraction from the life of flourishing. I am just not having it. So what mindfulness, gets us to do is reclaim our attention, reclaim our life. And this is how I actually started putting together a program for people of African ancestry. When I was studying mindfulness, we studied basic neuroscience. And when I learned about neuroplasticity, what you think, what you do, what you pay attention to with consistency, This is what builds the neural pathways in your brain. And this is what's in charge of your experience. I was like, what? 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 (laughs) Hold up, hold up. Yeah. (laughs) Hold up, hold up. What? I was like, excuse me, but the key to my liberation is in my body right here, right now. So in my work, I call it the neurobiology of liberation. And once you understand that, 
thinking, doing, paying attention to reclaim your attention, arrest your attention from whether it's the phone, that's a whole nother conversation, (laughs) or the distraction and the destruction that comes with that distraction of racism. When I build the ability to reclaim and redirect and own my attention, people pay big money for my attention, Mm -hmm. our attention. Mm -hmm. So my program is called the right within experience. How are you going to win when you ain't right within? Thank you, Lauren Hill. So reclaiming our attention in order to reclaim our humanity, our joy, and our well-being. The humanity is because in this work, I retell the narrative. We have to change the narrative. It's not enough to tell Black people to meditate or the benefits of, you know, this, the, the, the fine benefits of stress reduction, etc. And then we open our eyes and we're still inside of that same story. So let's just handle it. Let's look at colonialism, coloniality, which is the remnants of colonialism that still exists today without the um, handcuffs. Let's tell this the truth of what happened so we can be clear. Reclaim our humanity because racism is a dehumanizing process that is violent. And then we reclaim our joy. And then we reclaim our well being because liberation must be tended to. Liberation, I say in my work, is a lifestyle. It is not just a place you arrive. It's something that you awaken to and then you continue to tend to it and you water it and you feed it and you protect it. And so that's my work. And I do a version of that for people in white bodies. Y'all gotta take a look at who you are. For the benefit of the beauty of your life is a gift. Is this how you want to use it? Now, trust and believe. Look, I'm from New York and I'm from Staten Island. (laughs) Shaolin, the home of the Wu-Tang Clan. They came after me. I'm proud of those brothers. But Staten Island is no joke. We have the rat's nest. Mm. It's a rat's nest. It's so entangled of racism. It's for real. So... I'm not going to win everybody. You know, that's not even my purpose or my intention, but it's to bring some light so that those who are ready and willing have a path to follow because often people just don't have a path. I come across many people who tell me, Janae, I see it, but I I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know what to do. And so those are the people I'm more speaking to those who say, I want, I want to do better. I just don't know how. And so that's where I can contribute, but I don't struggle. I don't war. I don't fight. I don't do none of that. Well, I mean, (laughs) you're walking in love, so you don't have time to fight or war, right? That's not your it doesn't sound like that's your way or your mission. And you are clear that's not necessarily going to get us to liberation. Like that's not about freedom, right? But you're still very clearly 
talking about how to dismantle these systems of oppression, in particular racism and white supremacy, and also how to do that within ourselves, right? Starting, how do we get right within is what you said, and how mindfulness can play a role in that because it's all about awareness of what is going on, right? And how did we come to be? How did I come to be and how did we come to be? Which is a question that I ask groups all of the time that we have to go back to understand how we landed here at this time in this way. So I so appreciate what you do and, and how you talk about it, right? What you named about what you do and, and where you wanna put your energy, like where you wanna put your attention um, which of course is rooted in mindfulness too, but being conscious of that and making a choice about that. Like that's part of what you're inviting people into remembering. Yes. And it was a journey for me to arrive at that, often painful. And some of what I confronted was not only, well, one was how the system and people in the system are fearful, risk averse, um, committed to the status quo and are mindless soldiers for a cause. They don't even understand what they're doing half the time, but they will enact, they will bring the full weight of the system down upon one. And I experienced that in my work in public health. And I have also experienced that we also must be clear that because one is in a black body, it doesn't mean that you are automatically immunized from having been impacted by the culture and the education system and all that is that has us playing a role, playing a role, accepting a role, in this crazy system, in this matrix, if you will. We have, everybody has their part. And so I have also been impacted by mindless, unconscious people in black bodies as well, who do all, my aunt used to tell us stories about um, our family coming out of slavery in Waynesboro, Georgia. And she'd say, and there was this group that would do all manner of meanness, she called it, all manner of meanness. And we still see that. Girl, I try not to, you know, you go on your phone, you try, and lo and behold, some kind of stuff will come up. And you're like, what are y'all doing? You know, the way, the way we're talking to each other and the flipping of the this. And, you know, this is... Um, People don't recognize that they've been primed and prepped and trained into a way of being. And so what I appreciate about mindfulness is it asks us to stop, pause, take a breath and begin to feel what is there. And that must though be accompanied by proper doctrine the scriptures call it right believing. That's what the that's what doctrine means. It's right believing. And that's why understanding the real history and and rewriting the narrative is very important because people are um, even people in quote unquote liberation movements are struggling. Because here's the here's the other thing. Race is no such thing. Right. <laughs> it's Social construct is made up. So, okay, can we just start right there? 
So actually what we have is we have cultures we have an array of human cultures, but there is one race and it's the human race. And so I also don't want to step into a situation where you reduce me to now because I'm in a black body and trust and believe my family is from the Caribbean, from the South, from Harlem. I am love supreme black culture. Okay. I love our culture. I love our culture. I, I know what our culture really is, but you will not reduce me <laughs> into what you think it is to be Black. I get to pick and choose and decide how I want to show up and, and what I want to listen to and what I want to eat. And so this whole conversation, Black people don't do this, we don't do that. I'm not in, I'm not in that conversation either. You know, I, I raised a son, he's now 25, but that whole notion of you talk wide and you, we, we're not. So there's, there's a lot of light to be shown, but in it all, I said to myself, I will not be on this path and be sad. I had to shift that because that is not, this is not what I came here for. You know, I came here to party. I don't know. I came here to have a good time. <laughs> I came here to figure out what's in this human experience and what do I want to try on, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I came here to flourish. And so to me that, and my joy is not resistance. My joy is my birthright. My pleasure um, fuels my health. There's a pleasure health connection. And I'm not beyond, you know, saying a few choice words to somebody either, because sometimes people just don't get it. They just think that they can come in your space and, and be disrespectful and disregarding. So I've been developing this way of being over time, over time, and learning to be kinder to myself and learning to um, put my stake down in love. You know, I did this reading with this brother one time and he said, Janae, but you have to, he says, your stake, you have to put it down. And I was like, I thought I did. And then I, I had to go back and say, okay, how do I actually put my stake down in love and my stake down for people in black bodies without reducing us. Cause we can be in, we can have all of the gifts that we've brought to the world without a reductionist approach. We can sing opera, you know, Leotine Price. Oh my God, I got to see Jesse Norman. You know, I mean, we can do, we can play tennis. We can do whatever the hell we want. We're going to do whatever we want. And we usually do it very well. And by the way, on that note, somebody just brought this to my attention. This whole thing of perfectionism, the they, y'all ain't even doing that because you haven't even allowed yourself to fully be in full human competition because you've closed a whole group of people out. You don't even know how good you are or how bad. <laughs> because you haven't competed against some of the best. What happens when you let us in the door? What the hell happens? 
I mean, look at the history, Jackie Robinson, what the heck, what happens? Yeah. You know, so as all of this came into my, (laughs) into my being, I was like, okay, I didn't feel like I started out to talk about this subject. Like that would be my lane. It just, the ancestors were like, yeah, girl, Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) But yes, they were. I'm going to grab this and show you this thing. Oh my God, this is so When I was, I was in ninth grade when Dr. King, I know I was nine when Dr. King was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And this wonderful teacher in my community started back then they called it an Afro-American history class. We advanced and said African. African. And fourth grade, she began to teach us so, so the hook got set for me and I started putting all these beautiful things on this hook, addressing the psyche of our young people early to give them a foundation that they can build on as they go along. I think also is something that's very important to me and my work will turn in that direction by and by. But we have to become emancipated. My friend calls it, um, it's, 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 a, it's a thing, decolonizing the psyche, yes? Right. It starts there. So that's, that's the journey that I'm on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad you're on it. And the ancestors moved you, led you, placed you, right, in certain spaces to be on this path. And just the way you do this with love and liberation at the center, but truth, like, I mean, it's very clear you're speaking truth and, you know, you're not mincing words. You're just saying the thing and the reality that we're experiencing, um, which I re- we don't have time to do anything else, but speak the truth about what's going on. Like there's no time. And I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you mentioned pleasure and I'm curious to know, like I said at the beginning, we've been through it, you know, our lifetimes, but also the last two years, and that you were like, I came in, came here to feel pleasure and joy, right? I came in for this um, and to try on different things in this human experience. And I'm curious if how you've sort of thought about joy over the last two years, right? How you've thought about pleasure over the last two years, given COVID and political upheaval and reemergence of Black Lives Matter. There's a lot coming at us, I think, and so I'm curious to know how how you've been able to, and if you've been able to center joy, which I think you have, because and I can like see you and I'm smiling the whole time, right? You know, so I'm curious about that. Like, how is it, how are you thinking about joy given what's going on in the present moment? Well, one of the ways I did is I had been introduced to a beautiful sister, Rashida Khan Bay, and she does erotic sensual movements. And I took a class with her pre-pandemic when we all could travel around. And so I connected with her online Mm. and did some just beautiful sensual movement in my living room with her. And I'm about to sign up for another class because she talks about pleasure is not a reward. It's part of what we need, you know, Mm -hmm. vitamin pleasure. Mm -hmm. You need that. Even Dr. Christiane Northrup, where I first heard this, um, 
who is um, women's bodies, women's wisdom, talked talks about the pleasure health connection. And I work in public health and I worked in maternal child health. So it's about women's bodies. And I looked at what helps us to move forward. How do we even make babies through pleasure? So this, um, and by the way, that's how I got in trouble in the Department of Public Health by talking about pleasure. Girl, they slapped my hand, wrote me up, honey. I had to have someone come and take that reprimand out of my personnel record because what are you doing? I asked to go to an event that had pleasure in the title. My supervisor said, write a justification. I did, she approved it. I was about to go and then they told me some man laid his eyes on it and he said, you can't do this. Mm. And I said, okay. It's your money here. Take it back. That was not, I thought that was the end of it. Cause you get to say, if I could go on your work time on your dime. Okay. You think it's, but then they came back and said that I was trying to use the city's dollars for my own personal gain. Wow. I direct a program for women, for black women. I'm in under, I'm investigating this whole notion of pleasure. And by the way, the women that were going to be in that were high level, mm-hmm. primarily white women. Mm-hmm. See, there's a whole lane of white women looking at this stuff. Uh, but they, they reprimanded me. <laughs> so what are you reprimanding me for? You reprimanding me for asking well, how come you're not reprimanding the supervisor who approved it? You see, you see when the hammer of an institution wants to come down on innovation, on creativity, on black body, they don't really need a, a justifiable reason to do it. They can make things up. And it was very intimidating because they somebody told me you could lose your job. So fast forward to now, when I say do, doing the work I do, I'm not doing it in a vacuum. Like I haven't experienced anything, but back to pleasure. <laughs> pleasure is not a reward. It's something that we need. And so, and I'm also a femme, F-E-M-M-E, exclamation mark, a femme attuned teacher. I studied with the beautiful Bernadette Pleasant to teach a runway for women to examine and experience emotion through the body. We do an emotional tour. It's not dance, it's movement. And so that has just, that's also in my system because I started out as a young dancer. I started out as a dancer young. I gravitate towards movement and I am married. And my husband and I have now been on this exploration with this beautiful sister in our community around Tantra, dare I say all this stuff, (laughs) but it's so yummy because it's about love, intimacy, connection, and walking a path of, with intention and kindness and clear sightedness. And this happened during the pandemic. And also what happened for me during the pandemic is I relocated from the East Coast to the West three decades ago. 
um, I say I'm a New Yorker who lives in California because that's very much a part of what shaped me as a person. But I was finding it hard to find my tribe, if you will. So I met a lot of I've met a lot of people. I'm a friendly girl, so you know I don't have a problem connecting. That is very much who I am. And that's what happened during the pandemic. I found that connection. So there's about six of us. And it started with my birthday in June. And then we've just been meeting every month. Somebody else hosts. And we are having these deep talks and laughs. We're going to do um, an, our next thing in February. We're going to do a fire at the beach. Then somebody is going to lead a one-night spa retreat. And everybody's taking a turn. Beautiful sisters you know, entrepreneurs, coaches, you know, a couple of people getting their PhDs, you know, just everybody's and, and age range. And so that has been wonderful, you know, um, how Black women connect and meet and love and support each other is not the housewives of Atlanta. Unfortunately, that's what America gets, you know, or love and hip hop and all this all this buffoonery, I'm going to just say what it is. It's just nonsense. But we have a legacy. My friend calls it a radical love tradition. We have a radical love tradition. And we are going through the paces of what it takes to really do sisterhood. So one person, for example, was exposed to COVID. Then we all were. And then it was like, oh my gosh, okay. So then we're, you know, everyone's going out and getting their tests. And then one person was really, really stressed about it because her mate is older and she was concerned of what she would bring home and how um, two of us, you know, just gathered her up, told her where to get her test, came to my house, sat outside, drank wine until the test results were in. Like, this is how you do community and support. And it's in the moment, moment to moment decisions, consciously, um, kindly helping her to redirect her words, stop creating this with your, you know, so it's, a. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, it's through movement connection and building sisterhood that I have moved through the pandemic with some uh, bringing in some joy and pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that with me and with the, the listeners and about the ways you're finding pleasure and also what you just said about the group, the community you're part of and what like true sisterhood means or community and and what is natural to us as black women, right? And how we show up in community and care for each other. And I just love what you described about that because it feels so real and authentic and what we really need, right? To be in our true nature with one another in that way. So I love that you found your people in that way there because it sounds like that's been a process, um, but you found a, a circle of people yeah, that can support you and that you can support. I think that's so powerful. And so much of what we're we're going to need to have, we're going to have to figure out how to be in connection and community with one another as we like move through the pandemic, move out of the pandemic, who knows what will happen, but we're still going to have to learn how to connect with each other 
and authentically and and in a way that's really about collective care, which is what I heard and what you what you named. Yes, which you talk about in your book. I do. Collective. It's yes, it's finding collective refuge. Care. Mm-hmm. Collective care. And that's something that we are, we're getting to, we even named it that we're getting to practice this and be aware of it. Because it's so easy to say, I'm gonna drop out. That's too much. I, you know. And and um, that is also why it's important to source yourself first, to resource yourself first, to be doing the work so that you can make a, a kind contribution, so that you have the bandwidth. You know, in inside of grief, what I'm finding is that my bandwidth is not as big, even if it's a moment where I'm not crying, I feel a heaviness. And then I have to just breathe into it and allow myself to say, no, I'm in February. I'm not taking on a lot of the trainings in the department that I would normally do. I am having a very minimal schedule so that I can replenish and restore and let um, the grief from losing my brother just roll through me and see what it wants to teach me and allow the grief to help me have a greater reverence and respect for life. And what do I want to do differently inside of this loss and presencing impermanence that death does? So I'm just gonna slow it way down and be easeful. And um, I feel though, that I had to grow into that awareness and grow into that courage to do it because it's not something that is supported by our, the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's necessary and brave to make space, you know, for what you need and to in particular grief and to slow down in the way that you're um, you describe and and listening in the way that you're talking about, and so I'm glad you are giving yourself that space and listening um, to to heal, right, and to move through this time. Um, and I so appreciate you, as I've said multiple times, your presence, your energy, um, your nature, how you show up in this world and that you're helping us like in so many ways. And I feel like through this conversation, I've had the full experience. Like we've talked about pleasure. We've talked about white supremacy. We've talked about grief, right? And how we get our path and the ancestors placing us. So I feel that from you. And it's just been such a joy to um, um, get to know you more and to, to share space with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for your work and this beautiful work that has totally contributed and enriched my life in such deep ways. So, okay, I'm not going to cry, but I could, sometimes I just hold your book and cry because it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I feel so blessed to have this. You see all my pages are marked up. Yeah. Places that I could turn to. It's so gorgeous. Michelle, what you did for us. Like, girl, when I'm real famous, uh, you coming with me. (laughs) 
Yes, I'll be there. I'm there. Because you said it's a book designed to guide you through exploring what is breaking your heart. Mm. I mean, I love that you point us to the heart. The heart that has its own brain, the heart that has an electromagnetic field that goes out beyond the body. We are not often given permission to go to the heart. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that and, and how you're you're working with the medicines and finding refuge. And I know it's reaching people and helping people. And it's nice to hear like, how, like you hold it, right? And sometimes it's like you're holding it and you cry. You just to hear that and the impact of it. So I'm glad it's in the world and that my ancestors moved that through me to, to put it out in the world because I'm just a channel in that way. Um, so yeah, I hope it continues to provide some, some solve and some healing. And thank you, Danae. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the episode. So as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm-hmm.